Good morning, Sailorville. If you brought a copy of Scripture with you this morning, you can find Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4. And as you make your way there, let's talk to God, shall we? Our Father, we love you, but only because you first loved us. And we do desire, Lord, to understand you better today, understand the purposes before us in the scripture we'll be looking at, the importance of godly unity amongst the saints. I pray, dear God, that every heart here, regardless of its condition, would be subject to your love your Holy Spirit's comfort and challenge, and to those who need to know Jesus, that they would submit to the gospel and be saved. For those of us who do know him, we would go from here today saying to one another, it's better when we're together. This is the way the world has changed And we pray that would be the case, and we ask these things in Jesus' name, amen. Ephesians chapter 4. There's an old ditty that was, you know, written many years ago that goes something like this. To live above with saints in love will be eternal glory, but to live below with saints we know Well, that's a different story. (laughs) But it shouldn't be, right? It shouldn't be. Jesus already told us that the world is watching us when he said, by this will all men know that you are my mafetes, my followers, uh, the ones who are my disciples. If you have what? Love one for another. You know, it was during the second century that the Roman authorities dispatched certain couriers to go into the precincts where Christianity was growing to find out what kind of sect this was. Was it? It wasn't. They, they knew it wasn't Judaism anymore. So, and and they were hearing some things. In fact, Christians were being accused of things like cannibalism, because after all, they were eating the body of Christ. Those are some of the stuff they heard. So they sent these couriers in, and they came back. And what they were getting, what the authorities were getting in stereo was the expression, this expression, which became famous back then, and it was this, see how they love one another. When Christians walk in love, they walk in unity. And and Ephesians chapter 4, we've come to the hinge in this book. You know, up until now, it's been pure, robust doctrine. Great stuff, and it's the fuel that uh, we need, as we'll see here in a few moments, in our walk with God. Now we enter into a much more practical uh, uh, section here, and these first six verses, one sentence, by the way, got to love those run-ons. The Apostle Paul gives you and me the secret sauce, so to speak, the, the biblical recipe, if you please, of how a church Walking in unity will best impact this watching world. And believe me, they're watching. Most of you know that. But let's go to the text, Ephesians chapter 4, beginning in verse 1. 
Paul says, I therefore a prisoner for the Lord. He doesn't see himself as a prisoner of Rome. Urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling in which you have been called. With all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all and all said. Sounds like a doxology, doesn't it? We have moved from our wealth in Christ to our walk with Christ, all right, in this section. I've got good news for you, though. God, if you know him, has already prepared you beforehand to walk with him. We've already read it. We've already studied it. Ephesians chapter 2. For we are his poema, his work of art, his craftsmanship, Created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So God's already done the work. We just need to comply. We're talking about walking. We're not talking about wrestling. We'll get to that in chapter 6. We're not talking about fighting. Paul talks about that in the pastoral epistles. We're talking about walking. It's a beautiful metaphor, and it's a common one in Scripture. It basically means exactly what you think it means, the way you conduct your life. So we are talking about a walk in unity here, okay? And so we're going to get right at it. To walk in unity, there are three things that this text is going to urge upon us, literally, in order to walk in unity, both for ourselves and our own internal love, growth, and edification, but to make a difference in this world. Here's the first one, and it's a short one. I'm going to spend a very brief amount of time here, but it has eternal consequence to some of you who don't know Christ or those of you watching online. The first one is receiving God's great salvation. We're going to be unified if we receive God's great salvation. And you might be saying, where does it say that in the text? Well, it's all wrapped up in that second word. He says, I, therefore, a prisoner of the Lord. The word therefore you know, you've heard the expression, whenever you see the word therefore, you should ask what it's there for, right? The antecedent to therefore is the first three chapters, is all of this, this wealth of information that the great riches we have in Christ, God who has chosen us in him before the foundation of the world, he's adopted us, we have, we have been redeemed by the blood of Jesus, we have been indwelt by the spirit of God. All of these great riches that we have in Christ that we unpack through those gifts coming out of the gift in chapter one, the great deliverance in chapter two that we have when we are reminded that before we knew Jesus, we were dead in our trespasses and sins. We were enslaved to the prince of the power of the air. We were by nature children of wrath. But God, amen, but God who's rich in mercy with his great love in which he loved us, by grace are you saved. Great deliverance. 
And then we saw in the third chapter the great bonding of all peoples, Jews and Gentiles, slaves and free, every color, tribe, ethnicity in the world comes together as one in Jesus Christ. A beautiful thing. And the entry point is believing on the Lord Jesus Christ. The entry point is having received God's great salvation. And just to remind you, we saw that in chapter 1, verse 13, when we read these words, in him, in Jesus, you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel, the good news, Christ died and rose again for you, of your salvation, and what? Say it. Believed in him. Pistuo means to take in, means to, means to completely trust, commit to. You were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. So for those of you here or watching online, if you've never believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, that is, you've never seen yourself as a lost sinner, you've never truly repented of your sin, turned from your sin, turned to Jesus, trusted him as your Lord and Savior, just stop right here and tune out and just meditate on that for the rest of the sermon. Because that's where you need to be. You need to get in through salvation. This is the very first component in the secret sauce of unity, a saved membership in the church, amen? You know, we don't have, you know, it's a large church, admittedly, but people don't, when people come in and say, I'd like to be a member, we don't say, hey, come on, more than merit. No, 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 this is it. You better know Jesus, amen? Secondly, and we're gonna spend some time here on this one, biblical unity The unity that we're looking for, our walk in unity, comes by exhibiting God's great character. Now, I want you to look at the screen, because I want to put these words up again. I want you to look at them. It says, he says, I, therefore, a prisoner of the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling in which you you have been called, with all, with all what? With all effort to utilize God's power in your life, amen? Amen. I mean, you'd expect some power words, especially after the prayer we just saw that Chuck DeClean preached on last week. You know, he, he goes, be strengthened in the inner man. He uses all kinds, lots of different Greek words for power, 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 wonder-working power. Almost took off on that old hymn. <laughs> Let me tell you something. These Ephesians were not ready for the next words to come up. And neither are some of you. Here's how we do it. With humility. And gentleness. Patience. And forbearance. Bearing with one another. Wait for it. In love. Dang. I can't just be tolerant. Nope. Eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. Listen, maintaining the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace doesn't require great power. It requires great character. I wrote a book. And before you think this is a shameless plug, stay with me. Several weeks ago... um, I was at a funeral. My mother-in-law passed away, and so our family was together, and I saw several of my family members I have not seen in some time, and my dear sister was very intrigued that I'd written a book, and I, you know, showed her what it, showed you what, showed her what you're looking at, and showed her the back cover, and she kind of read the, read the summary of it, 
And uh, now, you got to keep in mind, this sister of mine's first impression of me as a Christian stemmed from my early days as a Christian. I mean, from the flame-throwing, China-breaking, zealous guy that I was. You know, just coming at her. And she says, she says, Pat, I, I really like this. This looks really good, but um, it's not what comes to my mind when I think about you. <laughs> First I said, oh. And then I said, I know. <laughs> That's kind of why I wrote it. <laughs> to my dear sister... In her mind, my talk and my walk did not have a history of, let's call it, equal weight. Which, by the way, is exactly what the word worthy means. It means equal weight. That's what it means. In fact, the word worthy comes from the Greek word. We get our English word axis from this word. It's used half a dozen times otherwise in, in the Bible, and it's always translated worthy. The idea, it's, it's worth matching value to the calling in which we've been called. Listen, our worthy walk should flow out of our inner wealth. I'll say that again. Our worthy walk, the balanced one where the talk and the walk match up, should flow out of our inner wealth that, again, doctor, he's not a doctor, but he might as well be chucked clean, preached on last week. You know, we are strengthened with all strength in the inner man. I would ask you, is there anything more important in your life or in mine than the cultivation of the inner man? Go like this. Because there isn't. When the sun comes up, satisfy us before the day has passed us by, right? And that becomes the evidence by which our clarity in Christ, our love for Christ, our genuineness in Christ becomes real, not only to the brethren, but to those who are not, our outsiders looking in. And notice what Paul says there at the beginning. He says, I therefore, prisoner of the Lord, look at the next word, urge you. You see it? Uh, if, I think maybe some of the older translations say encourage you or exhort you. It's a very common word. It's a beautiful word. It's a very dynamic word. It's the word, it's the word um, which has para, which is the prefix on it. So it's, it's parakaleo. Para means, means uh, to come alongside. And um, kaleo, you can hear the word call in that. It, it literally pictures somebody coming alongside somebody else and supporting them. That's what it means. And that's why it's more often than not translated encourage. So Paul isn't saying, I'm coming at you right now with all these commands. Because remember Chuck told us we're entering into the command section. And we are. He's coming at us more gently. He's saying, I want to encourage you in, along these lines. I mean, how powerful is encouragement? How many of you enjoy being encouraged? Yeah, like all of us. How powerful is it? Well, why don't we let dear Abby tell us? Remember her? Abigail Van Buren? She's been gone for a while, long time now, but she, she wrote a column for many, many years. 
And she told the story, true story, of a, of a teacher who was teaching a, high, a group of high schoolers. And actually, it was a large group, 20-some or whatever. And she could tell they just, there was just a little irritation amongst them. So she gave them, on a whim, an assignment. And she gave them some paper, and she said, I want you to write every name of every classmate in this room. And after they'd done that, she said, now I want you to write something nice about every single one of them. So they took the next hour or more to do that, and they handed their papers back. She, she compiled these things. She did a composite of them over the weekend, and then she came back on Monday and handed every single one of them uh, a composite of all, uh, you know, a summary of all of the nice things that were said by the other students about them. And she, she heard all of these onomatopoetic expressions like, ah, oh, mm, ah. And somebody said, ah, I didn't know that. They thought like that of me. And she sensed something really good had taken place. Now, that would be a good enough story right there, but that's not where it ends. This happened in the late 60s. And about four or five years, maybe six years later, one of those students was killed in Vietnam. The teacher went to the funeral, as did many of the classmates. At the end of the funeral, the parents of the deceased soldier came up to the teacher and handed her that piece of paper. And she said, it was on his person when they found him. He treasured that paper. That's not even the end of the story. <laughs> Another student heard the parent tell the teacher, oh, I have mine in my billfold. And another said, I have mine here. Before they were done, they realized that nearly the entire class had kept their paper. So don't tell me that encouragement isn't powerful. And that's what Paul is trying to do with you and I in our quest toward unity, is to encourage one another. Again, this is the imperative section of, of Ephesians. But again, these first commands are not what these early readers would have anticipated. It's not even the stuff that you and I would have anticipated unless we had our Bibles in front of us. But look at it again. Humility, gentleness, patience, bearing with one another. And yet these are the very characteristics that beautify the house of God. You know, we learned a few weeks ago that our bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit. We are the, ho we are the house of God. I remember years ago reading and studying the, Titus, the pastoral epistle, where at the end of chapter 2, verse 10, Paul says, adorning the doctrine of God our Savior in all things. Have you ever read that? I remember the adorning the doctrine of God. And I remember thinking, Lord, I can't add to the doctrine of God, but I can adorn it. I can't add to the word of God, but I can adorn it, and I should adorn it with my life. The word adorn in that passage, by the way, is we get our word cosmetic from this word. It literally means compellingly attractive. I think it's funny how so many of us wait to fix up our homes just before we sell them. I mean, it's kind of like, I haven't been able to use that in four years, but now it works and I'm leaving. Listen, 
Your life is your spiritual house. It's always up for sale, so to speak. Only question is, who's buying? In one sense, we're all fixer-uppers. Amen? Can I get an amen? Amen. We're all fixer-uppers here, right? In another sense, in a real other sense, the grace of God should be at work in our life, our house, this temple, so much so that the very look is worth buying. That's the way it was for me. My brother led me to Christ, but on the heels of my brother leading me to Christ was a, a, a young man by the name of Nick True. He's the man I worked with for a week at John Deere in the foundry, in the soot, in the, in the grime. And he had a speech impediment. He was not eloquent, but he had asked God to bring him somebody that was interested in the gospel. And yes, he had the words. Yes, he had the gospel. Yes, he had tracts that he gave me, but his character was so powerful. He would do things I did not want to do. And he showed me with all humility and gentleness and patience and forbearance what a Christian is supposed to look like. And it drew me in. By the way, parents, just on a side note, are you stressing these characteristics with your sons and your daughters? I mean, we are living in 2022, right? When we want our daughters to be beautiful. We want our sons to be great athletes, powerful. We want them to be confident, courageous. And those are all legit in their own context. How about teaching your sons and daughters to be lowly? By the way, that's what the old word for humility is, lowliness. You like that word? How about teaching them to be lowly, to be gentle or meek, to be patient, teaching them to endure with great tolerance and in love those that are hard in their lives? Let's look at these words again. Humility. There it is. Humility. That's the word for lowliness. By the way, the culture in Paul's day despised humility. It was meant for something for slaves. In fact, some believe this word was even invented by the Apostle Paul. Nobody used this word. Paul didn't just use it. He illustrated. Remember back in chapter 3? I am the least of all the saints, right? A lot more could be said about humility. But it's enough to admit that the church needs more of it. I need more of it. Funny thing, in the last service, I said, the church needs more of it. A guy over here goes, amen. And I said, I need more of it. And he goes, amen. (laughs) I said, thank you for that affirmation. (laughs) Gentleness. That's the word for meekness. And we don't like that word, meek. I don't want to be meek. That sounds so weak. No, meek isn't weak. Some of you have memorized the, the sort of the operational definition for it. Power under control, right? Which is really a good definition for this word gentleness or meekness. I had a friend years ago, horse guy. I wasn't a horse guy. I've always admired the beast, I mean, you know, I mean, the horses are just amazing up close, right? The ripples, the muscles, the power that they exert. 
And uh, my friend, I went to his house, knocked on the door. He wasn't there. So I went looking for him around the ranch, and I came up to this pen, and there was his black stallion. And it took one look at me from across the yard and just went galloping towards me I'm, and s- stopped, almost skidded right up against this itsy-bitsy little fence that separated us <laughs> and snorted at me. And I was looking up going, oh, please don't jump the fence. Please don't jump the fence. Please don't jump the fence. I mean, fear just shot through me. But that same horse, under its master, was completely docile, controlled by reins. I mean, ready to explode into a gallop at any given moment, but only on command. And that's what this word means. That's the idea here. God isn't trying to strip you of your zeal, of your power, of your, of your giftedness to that end, but always under control. That's what this means. And we should be, that's the way I should be, the way you should be, under the control of your master, right? We'll get more into this when we get into the filling of the Spirit in several weeks. Patient. That's the word which means to be long, or long-suffering, to be long-tempered. And he kind of describes it here, right? Well, here's how. Bearing with one another. The word bearing means to suppress with silence. To tolerate one another. And the one another here reminds us that we're talking about the way we react to one another, right? And here's the awful addendum. In love. Because love covers a multitude of sins, amen? Amen. We're talking here about unity and the development and the existence and the exhibiting of great character. The need for exhibiting humility and gentleness and patience and forbearance speaks to our natural resistance to that, does it not? But we're talking about family here. I mean, when we read these words, humility, gentleness, patience, forbearance, to our proud hearts, they smack of losing, of being defeated, or maybe even being bullied. But we're talking about living amongst the brethren. We're family. And even a, whole, even a large family like the one I have, they're not all the same. Believe me, they're not all the same. We have differences We rub against each other once in a while. But we're family, right? If we have a quarrel, it's a lover's quarrel. As it should be in the church. Healthy relationships amongst the brethren will affirm, they will exhort, sometimes they will confront, but always for the building up of your faith. Not not the tearing down. I have... Nine white pines in my backyard. When we moved in, they were only about my height, and now they're over 40 feet tall. They're beautiful. There used to be 12. I'll come back to that. But they're growing, and they, they've got wide bottoms. And, uh, you know, they'll live like two to 400 years. You're likely not going to outlive your white pine. And I've discovered that Mowing around them can be a challenge, especially when you're trying to get to the base. 
And I confess to you that as I do, or at least it used to be this way anyway, I would cringe with a tinge of fear as I go up against those long branches. But I learned something about white pines. The healthy ones bend. They give. I mean, I've had my hat knocked off a few times. I've been scraped a few times. But I've come to realize I don't need to fear the healthy ones. It's the dead ones that get you. (laughs) They'll get you. I talk about the three that I lost. I mean, in spite of all my love and care, in spite of all my efforts to save them, they started drying out. They got drier and harder and nastier. They didn't brush or bend or give like the other ones. No, they gouged. You don't have to fear brushing up against healthy, godly Christians in the church. It's the dead ones that'll get you. And by the way, this is why the psalmist said, remember, he opens up the book of Psalms, the great, you know, the great hymn book of the Old Testament, that the righteous man is like a tree, right? He's like a tree, not just any tree, but a healthy, growing, verdant, fruit-bearing tree. Now, admittedly, it hurts when one's, you know, when somebody you've been working with, you've spent a lot of time, you poured yourself into, and I've, I've, I've had countless times in my own life to this end, gouge you. But if they're dead, their dryness will give way to hardness, and their hardness will give way to nastiness, and their nastiness will give way to eventual death. And it may be that they were never alive to begin with. But if you're a true follower of Jesus, know this. God puts godly people in your life, not to gouge you, but to grace you. And so the apostle Paul says this, and he says in verse 3, he, he's doing, he says, I'm eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. I'm eager to do this. I love that. I'm eager. In fact, you got the, the King James says, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. It's a great word. The word eager is, a, we get our English word speed from this word. It means to be quick about it. Get after it. Part of great character is a willingness an eagerness even to settle matters. He's saying to maintain the unity of the Spirit. We don't make unity, we keep it. We maintain it. And we do it by, with speed, settling matters when they come to our attention. Remember, Jesus has already made peace. He's the one who created the unity, amen? We already saw that in chapter 2, verses 14 through 16. Through the blood of the cross, he's given us peace. We just have to maintain it. And as I said, maintaining the unity of the Spirit doesn't require great power. It requires great character. And that means being eager to reconcile with one another. Now, many of you got to see this firsthand, but it's worth putting in as an illustration. The president of Faith Baptist Bible College and Seminary, just four miles down the road, is Jim Tillotson. I've had a relationship with him for almost as long as he's been here but it was sort of a private one, meeting for lunch once in a while. He arrived from Canada about seven years ago, absolutely clueless of the variance between the college and this church. 
He didn't know anything about it. But when an unsaved owner of a landscaping company brought the variance to his attention, he became eager. Eager not only to find out what was going on, but to do his best to restore the fellowship, the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. And that's what this is talking about. Finally, walk by unity, or walk in unity rather, by embracing God's great doctrines. That's in these last few verses. I want to read them to you again, just in beginning in verse 4. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all and all God's people said. Again, it's like a doxology. In fact, a lot of people think that's exactly what it was. And did you count the ones? There's seven of them the number of completion. And these are all essentials. Let me say something very clearly here because we're talking about the unity that we are to have with one another. There is an exclusivity in our unity. As I said earlier, it's not like we just say, hey, come on in, join us. No. There has to be a doctrinal agreement And Paul is talking about these things. These are essentials. One body, the body of Christ. Not not many bodies, one body, the body of Christ. Not the body of Muhammad or the body of Buddha. What an ugly image that comes to mind on, right? Body of Buddha. I've seen half a dozen of them in Chinese restaurants. They're ugly, just like Buddhism is. Just like Islam and every other false religion that's out there. There's one body, the body of Christ, which is what the book of Ephesians is talking about. Being a part of this great body in the family of God. One spirit. Now, there are many spirits out there. John has told us that in 1 John chapter 4. There are many spirits, so you ought to test the spirits to see which ones you ought to follow, whether it's of the Lord. But the only one, the only spirit who will make your dead spirit come alive in Christ is the Holy Spirit. And thank God for that. We've already learned that he seals you, thus secures you in the body of Christ. And then he arms you with gifts so that you can walk, wrestle, fight the whole nine yards. One spirit. One hope. There's only one hope. Whatever you're hoping in, if it isn't Jesus Christ and his coming and making all things right, it's a lesser hope. We believe in the blessed hope and the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. That is our one hope. One Lord. In this world of many gods, there's only one who loves you, and he's already proven it by dying for your sins and mine on the cross. Amen? There's only one kurios. The martyrs of the first century were killed in the arenas because they were told, say it, say it, say it, say Caesar is kurios. And those who love Jesus would say, no, Jesus is kurios. 
There's only one faith. Admittedly, there are many faiths. Even under the umbrella of Christendom that are not true faiths. They all have one thing in common. You have to do something. You got to get baptized. You got to take a sacrament. You got to do, you've got to do certain works. You got to do this in order to be or maintain your salvation. You need to do something to earn your salvation. The one true faith says, it's not what you have to do for God. It's what God has done for you. The work is done. It's not of works. It's one for by grace are you saved through faith. And it's not of yourselves. It's a gift of God. It's not a result of work so that you don't have anything to boast about. One baptism. Admittedly, commentators, theologians are wrestling. What's he, what kind of baptism is he talking about? I think he's talking about spirit baptism rather than water baptism, but we'll apply both. Spirit baptism is also taught in Scripture in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 13. We have all been baptized into, into the body by one spirit. So what happens is this. When you place your trust in Jesus, those of you who have, at that moment you place your faith in him, the Spirit of God who regenerates you, changes your heart, puts you into the body of Christ where you're safe. He's the one who, that he baptizes, he places you into, which is what the word baptism means, to be placed into. He immerses you into the body of Christ, which is a very nice thing for him to do. Right? And there are many modes of physical baptism, but only one spirit who places you, who immerses you into the body of Christ. Then, 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 when you actually are baptized by water, you show the unity of the brethren in the bond of peace by being baptized, and you are identifying with everyone else in the death the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Unity. One baptism. And finally, one sovereign God and Father. And we'll let the scripture close it out. Who is over all and through all and in all. Amen. Embrace these truths, brothers and sisters. And be united together in the body of Christ. We'll be better off for it, and the world will too. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we love you and bless your name for the church, the body of Christ, hidden in your heart from ages past and then sprung on the scene to your delight. Oh, I pray to your delight. Oh, God, I pray that this church would be a truly saved church, having experienced your great salvation. And for those that are watching online and sitting in this room now who do not know Jesus, would you see the love of God wrapped up in him? He is your one Lord it's who will give you the one faith. Place your faith, place your heart's faith in him right now. Repent of your sin and believe in him and follower of Jesus, as that is the first great and most important doctrine that pulls us together, then it's our character, the great character given to us by God, by his grace. Let me ask you, follower of Jesus, 
How's it going in your demonstration of lowliness? Gentleness. Patience. And forbearance in love. How are you bending when other Christians come your way? Do you grace or do you gouge? It's a legitimate question. And then take us deeper, God, knowing that that is the very fuel by which our walk is conducted in the great doctrines of the faith. Not to just have a head full of knowledge, but lives that back it up, that are worthy, that are balanced, that have equal weight. Truth and life. We pray these things, Lord. In the head of the church's name himself, the Lord Jesus, we pray. Amen. Let's stand.